Well, welcome to the Sirius seminar for January 18th. Uh, today, we're honored to bring back one of our alumni, uh, Dr. Mamorthy Murakesson, uh, was a student with uh, Sirius in the computer science department, uh, getting his PhD. Oh, I'm back. Uh, it's been over a decade now. Yes, yes. And uh, we'll leave it at that. And uh, it did work in uh, data security, particularly looking at security in information retrieval. How can we protect ourselves when we search from, from revealing too much? Uh, but also looked at uh, several other security issues. Uh, then went on to work at Teradata for a number of years, where he uh, you know, help them expand from Terra to, to Exa and larger and doing query performance and, and related issues, uh, but has now gone through, uh, worked through a number of smaller companies. Uh, most recently, he's with Normalize and will be talking to us today about uh, a, a number of data security issues, but particularly in the context of some of the kind of the latest and, and greatest uh, uh, data management architectures. So I'll turn it over to Morthy. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Professor Clifton. And uh, I actually, it's, it's, you know, it's great to be here. Uh, I did this talk about uh, in 20, uh, 2009, so about uh, 13 years ago. Um, today, I'm going to talk about data security posture management and my company, we have been really focused on this area. It's a new emerging area. So my purpose uh, of the talk uh, is just to explain what it is about and why we need it, and uh, also go through a DSPM, so data security posture management, DSPM solution in detail. What, what are the components that we need to build to make this uh, work? And, uh, and share some of the challenges we have run into, and I'm hoping some of you will take up and maybe some of the challenges will, uh, will interest you to look further. And uh, finally, end with conclusion, sharing some final thoughts. So this is very common knowledge, right? Public cloud adoption has been increasing steadily over the years. If you just go back six years ago, um, the spending is almost three times um, than what we saw um, you know, in 2016, 2017 timeframe. And why this is happening um, is if you look at the other spectrum, um, this is really helping us fuel a lot of innovation and uh, creating uh, more and more areas for companies to come up and contribute, right? So um, previously, if you want to start doing something, you need to get a, um, you know, you need to have your own data center, you need to have, you need to plan for CapEx and you need to have a lot of investments. Right now, that's not the case. So there are many companies relying on public cloud and they are innovating and which is great to see. And you can also see the provider side. There are many, many companies which are um, offering all these services in cloud. AWS, GCP, and Azure, they are innovating and making all these services which can help you build a lot of these innovative uh, uh, businesses. And you know, so a great setup. But the key question is, do they have the same, you know, when you do this, do we have the same security that we get in on-premise on uh, infrastructure? If you look at this and uh, and try to answer the question, maybe let's go through this, right? So this is a, one of the typical cloud deployment. Um, uh, you know, this is taken from AWS website. As you can see, uh, they have something called virtual private cloud and many components are inside the virtual private cloud. So um, for example, in the last, you know, last section, you can see uh, databases and many compute elements like EC2, lambdas, and that help you run a lot of heavy workloads and protected by configurations using security groups. And also you can do some sort of peering to allow only certain access that you want to give. But many services also outside, global services, coming from S3 and ECR, uh, there are many services outside, but all of this are helping businesses to provide a very holistic solution to whatever they are doing, right? Innovation, and that's what is happening now. Now, um, to simplify this setup for, for uh, let's assume a simple company and they are doing this deployment. And typically uh, you will have the virtual private cloud that is protecting um, their in infrastructure from internet. 
right? And if you kind of peek inside this deployment, you will see a bunch of compute elements. And, you know, you just imagine these are EC2 instances, virtual, uh, virtual machines that you're launching to do a lot of compute. And on the other hand, you will also have data uh, to support data storing. You will have a bunch of data related services. It could be S3 bucket, GCP bucket, and Azure blob containers and so on, right? Many of them. Um, options exist, and this could be even data store, databases. Right? Previously, we used to host all this um, in in data centers, but now that you can host them in uh, public clouds. There are like many, many like MySQL, Postgres, and uh, like a lot of support for even unstructured data uh, data stores and so on. But on the other, you know, you also have users and roles where you can control who gets to access what, and this is. The kind of the third dimension access policies are a critical part of how you want to control who gets to access what and finally if you look at this uh, the locking here is to make sure that you know you are uh, you don't have any unauthorized access from outside of your own network right you're basically imitating a, a data center in this setup uh, in our example uh, let's assume that one data set one data set here contains sensitive data so what i mean by sensitive data it could be a PAI, personally identifiable data, or healthcare data, or finance data, whatever that is important for the business. If you go to the next slide, um, the previous slide I showed you, this is not a typical deployment for business to work, right? It's typically, you will have the business need will allow um, the companies to expose certain components to outside world. For example, you could be running servers, web servers that, of course, you know, from, from the internet you can connect, provide proper authentication, then you can, you know, make use of them. And also data, many times you, you may expose certain data to outside to either, you know, upload, download, and share, and so on, right? There are many controls you will have for data. And users and roles, there's a concept of service accounts where from externally you can create a service account to do certain operations. Many companies allow this to happen because, uh, many SaaS products rely on this to do certain things. For example, um, there are products where uh, a service account help you control the cost. So this external access is absolutely not you know, absolutely required for many, uh, if you want to build a really successful business. But then uh, when you open up this lock, uh, the key question is like, how are, you, how are you ensuring that you have, you know, your sensitive data that you have put in cloud is safe and secure? That's the question we are trying to answer. So hypothetically, let's look at a few ways in which this can go wrong, right? So you exposed um, certain times, you know, misconfiguration is one of the key things um, that, that is normal and can happen. And uh, for example, in this case, you're not supposed to make this available to public. And if there's a misconfiguration that allows access of a sensitive data to public, then you are basically exposing a sensitive data to outside. In, in the second example, uh, you only exposed a compute to outside the world, like you know, sorry, outside your network, but exploitation, like using some vulnerability in the compute, EC2 or VM, the hacker can get to your sensitive data through one hop. That's it. Um, in third scenario, you allowed, you have allowed um, um, excessive privilege for one of the service accounts that you wanted to give. You know, very, in terms of AWS policy configurations, if you just misplace one of the stars, and this can happen, right? Again, a misconfiguration, not intentional, but this can happen. Now, coming back to the cloud, I, I just talked about a very simple setup, but the setup in a real cloud environment is not as simple, right? I just showed you the first. It can just really explode when you when you, you can always start small, but you will see the explosion. Um, in business cases, there's a lot of AML use cases, and you know the need for accessing accessing and analyzing a lot of data is keep keeps increasing day by day, right? And uh, as you hire more more uh, team members, they need to access, they need to store, analyze, and so on. That also increases a lot of uh, um, in the data, and it keeps growing. Now the key question is like, when you are in this situation, when you opened up your cloud and when you're creating this infrastructure in a public public cloud, how do you ensure that your clear understanding of your uh, data security? And um, that's where you know we, we look at some of the key challenges that uh, that remains in this public cloud when you really put your sensitive data data out there. First of all, the key th you have wide variety of data stores 
So, um, you know, AWS, GCP, and Azure, if you look at all this, like many companies are multi, you know, hybrid, which means there is a huge variety and all of them will require different configurations. If you want to protect a public access for S3, it will vary from a different provider, right? It will vary and you need to be really knowing what you're doing and this can lead to misconfigurations. Um, one of the examples I showed you, the multi-hop analysis, where you can protect one, but if you have one, uh, one um, entity in the middle, which has a weakness and hacker can expose that. And how do you understand this? Because the cloud is so connected. I'll show you a graph later on. The links can go, like there could be many, many hops and that can lead to a, comp you, know, you can easily compromise uh, one of the you know, you know, single user and get to the sensitive data. The example is, for example, um, the compromising single user, the credential, they haven't changed the password for a long time. And uh, you know somebody is able to crack the password and get access to them. And the access path analysis we talked about, uh, going to multi-hops is, is a harder problem. And many times, you know, if you don't solve it, uh, this can lead to, um, again, data breach, right? I am understanding IAM is harder, uh, so that's why the whole thing and how you approach this problem is even much harder. So data security partial. So having, you know, just looking at this problem, data security partial management overall collectively tries to address this uh, holistically. Um, the, if you look at these are the questions, like where do, my, like where do we keep our data stores and what do they contain and who has access to them and what are my risks? If you answer all these questions cleanly, you you are in a better place and that's what this uh, data security portion management tries to provide and uh, so if you if you look at the solution let's now dive into the solution if you want to build a solution for this particular problem um, you, you will need all of these components and i will go through them in detail but uh, if you just look at your left um, you, you are you have multiple cloud providers like aws gcp and azure and we want to first understand where are my data stores, right? What, are, what, what do I have and where are they located? Because in you know, AWS, you can host you know, data stores in different regions, different continents, and understanding that is the first critical piece. Second thing is to know where is my, like what, what, what do they have, right? You could have thousand data stores, but you may not have anything sensitive, but you could have, you know, like 10 of them, but you you know you could just have many sensitive data inside, right? So you need to really understand what do they have? That's uh, data detection or anal analysis. The second thing is, uh, third is more about uh, anal analyzing and understanding who has access to it. You know, we looked at an example where user has access to it or uh, EC2 instance access to it. Then these are the points, critical points where that can be, you know, um, uh, compromised to get access to your data. And this is very, really need to know that to be able to answer um, the security posture management questions. And finally, um, uh, once you build this information, in, in our example, I'll go through, we are using graph. Uh, you can really understand what risks are there by writing a risk engine and uh, talk about it, how it's done. And also, um, prioritization. This is very important to know because you know cloud is a it can be huge. It can lead to a lot of risks, and uh, you need to be able to better manage them. And that's where the prioritization comes in. And we'll touch upon that. Okay, so uh, I'll I'll talk about all of this. And first is data discovery. So discovery is about understanding what assets you have where. Um, and each of the cloud providers have really good APIs. Uh, for example, AWS has Boto um, SDK, Google has APIs, Azure APIs, and so on. So using this, we can actually get metadata about all the available data stores that you have deployed, right? In what region, what's the size, and so on. The first is th thinking about the data model. And um, in our data model, uh, each node represents a resource. For example, if you have S3 bucket, that becomes one node. And EC2 instance, the compute element becomes another node and so on. And each of the nodes, the properties which we actually get from these APIs um, are actually stored in each node. For example, if you have a VM, you, you have to know what type. If you have a data store, you need to know what the volume of the data store. And if you're running image, you need to know what application is running and so on, right? All this metadata is part of an individual node in the graph. And the third element is relationship. So you have all these nodes now, um, which we can populate using the, some of these APIs and relationships are critical to know 
um, to connect them. For example, has role. For, uh, a user may be given an admin role or just read only role, right? These are completely different things. And you should be able to connect user node to a role uh, which is different. And then the relationship will become has role, right? You can name these relationships. And many times you, you can also give user or a compute element to read a data or write a data. And all of the relationships will dictate how they are interconnected with each other. And this is very important as a very first part of the um, DSPM solution when you build it. And uh, let's go back to our example. Let's say you have compute data and user and roles and access policies. And uh, here, on the right side, I have um, two users, U1 and U2, and two data stores, D1 and D2, C2 and C1 are the compute elements, right? Now, what I'm representing here, U1 can read D1, and U1, the user one can also access compute element C1. And similarly, U2 can read D1, and it cannot read D2, it can only access C2, compute, right? And then from, but what you notice here is that C2 can read D2. So the, that's the permission we have given, but indirectly U2 can also read D2 because of this permission. This is what the power of the graph that we can make use of when you build a data model like this. And this is actually a one smaller cloud account that, um, that we have you know, got all the metadata and uh, show, uh, showing as a graph. You can see this is from 200 nodes, 1K relationships, and how it's very nicely plotted and in terms of relationships and so on. And I, I have seen in, in an infrastructure where this number of nodes could be like 100, more than 10,000, and even relationships crossing 50,000 easily. But the power of the how you know the data model helps us to see all these links and how they are traversing between each other. And this is what helps us to kind of look at the next stage. Um, second piece of the puzzle is uh, data access analysis. So when I talked about nodes and uh, properties, they are very easy to get, right? You can just call, you know, query APIs and get them. But there's a one key piece in almost across all the cloud providers is that identity and access management. This is where you are defining what roles you have, uh, compute or users can take and what are the policies that control that give access to uh, what they can do with that. Um, in this case, so this is AWS policy. There are, again, uh, I just you know, chose AWS to, as an example, this very similar things are applicable to different cloud providers. So here, this policy statement says that uh, whoever has his role can access, uh, can do all of these act actions. So in this case, we're doing anything related to object access, but uh, please note, note that here, if it is get object, it's a read access. And if it is a put object, it's a write access, right? That, that, that's a differentiation uh, coming from, depending on what the policy allows it. So it's this um, DSPM solution should really analyze all these privacy like policies and build out relationships in the graph that helps us to you know, do this further. And IAM is not only limited to uh, users. We also notice, you know, resources have different um, access like policies, and that will control what we have. Let's say this policy has you know all of these read access, right? So basically, this is preventing one uh, any write access only read access. But if the policies like this allow to run um, any VMs, EC2 is basically VM, uh, you, the, whoever has this role will have write access, right? The policy allows them to have the write access. So to as part of the access analysis, very important to build and analyze the policies to create appropriate relationships that will help us to do the next stage of uh, risk analysis. And um, you know we use multiple tools to do this, but uh, you know this is the kind of the core problem, right? Just to be able to analyze the policies and uh, to detect the appropriate relationships. The next uh, stage is well, the kind of third is a data classification. I think one of the things we talked about is um, I want to know all like I want to know the data stores and like where they are. And second thing is about what are they, uh, who has access to them. Second. You know, the classification like analysis helps us that. Third is about what do they have? You know, many times we can, uh, as part of discovery, I've seen like 500 to multiple thousands of data stores. To really manage the, the cloud environment in, in a, such a large scale, you have to really know what do they contain. And typically the volume of, you know, if you just add up everything, terabytes and petabytes of data. So the classification is very important 
um, in, in, in an installation where you know people copy things, right? Like you, you have one data set and it's copied multiple times and it ends up somewhere. And uh, um, mission generated data sets are often we see and uh, development environments is often the case where uh, you know, production data is copied into a development environment and and so on, right? It's copied multiple times over and over and so on. So it just leads to explosion of large number of data stores that we see and uh, in an in installation. So um, going back to the question of what is more critical, and this is where classification helps us to know by tagging the you know what are the what, what it contains, and that's the key piece that, that we want to solve by classification. Uh, there are multiple approaches to classification. Um, there are um, like entity-based matching. This is purely matching in terms of like pattern matching, right? We know how, how the credit card number looks like. We know how SSN looks like. We know cell phone and so on. So uh, there are many um, tools out there that can get you get us this information. And there is also exact matching. It's many times um, companies have certain uh, sensitive documents. They want to make sure that this doesn't, you know, end up somewhere else, right? Which is not secured enough. And that's that's where exact matching comes in uh, very handy. And context-based matching, this is a kind of a futuristic uh, types of use cases where we know certain groups of users are always creating sensitive data and certain group of users are always not creating sensitive data. If you have some context around that, you can really uh, know what data stores will have uh, sensitive data or not. And this is kind of the third type. So we make use of uh, most of it uh, and try to build the relationship. But now let's come back to our previous uh, previous graph that we were kind of slowly building through this presentation. So uh, if you just focus on the middle, uh, U1, U2 users, and D1, D2 are data stores, and C1, C2 are compute. Through, um, through access analysis, we've already built this. Now classification says, okay, D1 is a data store. It has finance data and also healthcare data. Right? So these two relationships, uh, relationships are added as part of the classification. On the D2 side, let's say as part of the classification, we find that this has a PI data and also PHI data. So um, in many cases, you might find many data stores not having this also. Right, That's where the lack of the relationship. But this is good to know because now we can apply different type of risk and protection queries, and that's what we got next. So we built our, our graph with all this you know, really good metadata and rich data with uh, access and also the, the, uh, what they contain, right? Sensitive information is present or not. The key question now is like, uh, what is the risk of my whole environment when I, when I have this deployed? Um, risk, if you look at the risk, it could be multiple categories, exposure risk, vulnerability risk, and data risk. And if you really focus on data risk, um, really we need to know what is, the, what is the likelihood of exposure of my data containing sensitive information, right? I really care about certain things, PHI, PI, but if a data store doesn't contain some of this, I maybe we don't have to really prioritize those. So with this, currently our graph has all of this, all the information that necessary to identify this, right? We know all the data stores, we're not missing any, that's a discovery part. And um, who have access to it, all the relationship from user to compute, we have it. And what type of data is there? Uh, if you go to the question, uh, let's say we want to identify all the data stores contain containing sensitive data accessed by um, compute, which is exposed to internet. This is our one of the first use cases we talked about when an EC2 instance is exposed to um, internet, you can compromise it and get access to it. And um, let's look at the graph again. So if a risk is find, you know, finding all the data stores, um, this the first case we talked about, uh, let's say C C2 as a compute element is exposed to internet and that path is here, right? From C2 to D2, this is a direct path. If that query is, if our question is more like identify all the PHIs, healthcare data, accessible users, and who haven't rotated their password for more than 90 days, you know, this is a, again, a different types of risk, but you can see now U1 has direct access. If the U1 hasn't, you know, the property says it, they haven't changed their password for 90 days, you can flag it. And also, you know, the part of the graph, you can um, do one hop, right? For example, U2, U2 user 2 has access to uh, compute and uh, the compute can access a D2 containing PHN. So this particular path is, uh, we were able to detect because, you know, we have laid out everything like this. 
and uh, it helps us to detect very com complex risk. Uh, this is just an example to show uh, how we can detect it, but like we have identified like multiple, multiple hops where uh, we, can, uh, we can narrow down to exact risk and how it can happen and, and so on. Um, here we look at, a, again, going back to real environment. This is one of the environments where we have you know, created all these links. Now, um, this is an internet user. And from that, I talked about a use case where we're talking about can access a compute element. In this case, it's a, it's a EC2 instance running in, in one of the VPCs, but it's exposed to internet. But this particular EC2 um, has a role that can give access, unlimited access to all the SL buckets. See how um, you know exposing this, you know, some some vulnerability uh, in this particular EC2 instance can easily lead to accessing all the sensitive data in the in a cloud deployment model. And this is what the risk engine can detect. And there are many many ways we can write this um, uh, patterns and detect this and uh, you know expose to the customers. Uh, kind of the final uh, piece of the puzzle is, you know, I, I looked at the previous talk. Uh, it talks about uh, security fatigue, which is which can happen. You know, I talked about like 50, 50 uh, like 10,000 nodes or 15,000 nodes deployment. You can really have many, many risks, like, you know, sometimes even thousands, multiple thousands of risk. Um, how do you really get uh, to know which one is more critical to look at? And that's where the prioritization comes in. One of the model we have really like, used a lot is this matrix about likelihood and impact. So if you actually look at a particular risk, there's a two aspects to this, right? One is this, how likely this can happen. And the other aspect is, if it happened, what's impact? And many times, if you look at this, the leftmost corner, this is where likelihood of this particular risk is very unlikely, right? It's very low. And also if it happens, this um, this doesn't lead to a lot of impact because maybe the data store which is at risk is not you know doesn't contain anything sensitive so it all be, you know it belongs in this category but let's look at the rightmost right it's a this is where let's say you have um, you have a compute which is running which has a lot of vulnerabilities in terms of whatever the application is running and which means that the if it is a high critical vulnerability very easy to um, expose or compromise that uh, compute. But in, in such cases, let's say that particular compute has access to a data store that contains very sensitive information, PA or PHI, very sensitive for your business, then it will belong in this category. So this particular prioritization allows us to really know which ones are critical to look at first. Typically, we need to start here, right? Because they're at most critical and uh, you are at the you know risk of exposing you know, critical data from uh, your deployment, and that's what you need to look at. And this model really works, uh, you know, works well uh, when you expose the risk to the users, and they can really take action. Okay, so having touched all the components, um, I want to kind of jump into um, challenges. So when you built this, um, we actually we ran into multiple things, and some of these are even uh, now applicable. So first is ETL, and uh, if you if you think about uh, the cloud deployment, which is external, and we are running all the APIs to get the metadata and update our graph, uh, may, you know, typically the lag is what uh, what is important here, right? Like you can really do it a batch update, but many times a lot of critical actions activities can happen very quickly. And uh, for example, you can change the the misconfiguration can exist for ten minutes, and then the it may be fixed. But there was a brief period in which the risk existed. And how do you, you know, how do you manage this? Because you cannot do batch, and how do you do it in real time? That is really one of the open questions, you know, or things that continue to look at. Second thing is graph. And when I, when I, you know, when you started using graph, it aligns really well with what all the things, you know, all the things we wanted to do. But um, graph is not the only solution, right? That could be different ways you can data model this. There's a way you can keep some things in the graph, something outside, and do a hybrid approach. There are a lot of ways in, in which this whole uh, DSPM solution can be made even more efficient. So that's where the data modeling uh, comes in. Risk evaluation. You know, one of the things I talked about is really knowing what patterns to look for. The uh, finding this automatically using anomalies and just detecting those is probably you know another uh, area that you know we haven't really uh, explored a lot. But there we know, you know there's plenty of uh, work to be done there. 
data movement. Um, this is a very unique property in the cloud that we continue to observe. Data moves a lot. So data, you know, somebody starts somewhere and then, uh, you know, someone copies it and different use cases come up. It's copied even more and more. So the, the data lineage and how it's, it's moving around in the cloud and even detecting risk and particularly point out how it came from, where it came from, I think that's very critical. And uh, false positives, I touched upon this briefly. Uh, security fatigue is common, definitely. Now, when you launch it, you could have like thousands of risk and uh, often we get the feedback. Okay, how do you narrow down? And one of the techniques I talked about is the matrix-based approach. It works very well, um, but there are even more uh, ways in which we have to really uh, you know, avoid, suppress false positives. So that's an area that uh, you know, can be very interesting to look at further. And finally, the piece about multi-cloud. When I started with, you know, we have AWS, GCP, and so on, different cloud providers. Um, and uh, all, what, we, what we see is that many businesses continue to use multi, you know, more than one. And there are a lot of reasons behind that. So um, DSPM solution, like when you build this, it has to work with uh, definitely more than one provider. And it has to have a good uh, solution for uh, dealing with all this and provide a very holistic uh, solution for DSPM. That's important. Okay, um, I'm going to, uh, this is my final slide. Uh, final thoughts, right? So the, when, you know, we have grown a lot and uh, there's a few, there was an area called uh, cloud security uh, portion management that's been well known. And uh, looking at from purely from data security and data protecting data point of view, uh, DSPM is coming up really well and a lot of uh, interest. And uh, it feels like it's a must have rather than nice to have. And uh, basically I, I talked about to really drive innovation and disruption, we need to keep the data secure and safe. And uh, so uh, it feels like more critical to solve this really well and uh, you know make this happen. So I think that's it. I'm going to stop here. Thank you. Go to Q&A. Uh, thank you. Really uh, appreciate that. Uh, certainly some challenges, uh, some big challenges there, but uh, really clear ideas on what we can do, which is impressive. So let's see um, if we have anything in the Q&A yet. Uh, I don't see anything yet, but I do have a uh, question for you. And that has to do with kind of um, maintenance of this, uh, you know, of your data security posture, you know, you've kind of gone through the steps required in order to understand what that is, but, you know, six months down the road, uh, how much of this do you essentially have to start from scratch? And are there things that you can essentially say, yeah, we've got that one right. And, uh, and we don't need to to redo it. So um, actually, um, uh, the current way we are doing this is um, is continuous. I think that's a point. Maybe I didn't go into details in the sense that the, uh, for example, in our uh, things, what we're doing is every one day we are almost looking for all the changes that happened in the last one day and just up, up, you know updating our graph. Uh, to reflect all the changes. So let's say 12 a.m. Every, every night we're running this uh, operations to update the ETL and that basically makes our uh, representation, the graph representation as the current. And at that time, we are, you know, we are detecting all the risks and bubbling up. So in a way, um, it has to be a continuous operation and it has to work continuously. So we can't um, but you know the cycle that the cycle between these two updates and that that's typically a day. It could be shorter, but that can be expensive to update. But um, it is continuous. So, so every day you know hey, this is this is the current state of the uh, cloud and this is the current state of the data security posture. Um. I hope, well, yeah. thanks. Let's uh, move on to the Q and A here. Um, um, uh, Rishi Gupta had a question: uh, What do companies do once they have this graph built? Do you have? I mean, do you have examples of how this has uh, 
okay sorry i'm not looking at the, okay and now i got the right uh, what a company is doing there graph yeah so um in in terms of what we are doing is we're projecting all the risks right there's there are, there are like two aspects to this one is that predetermined patterns that we are exposing will 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 be exposed to them as a set of risks they need to take action against so typically what you know those you know, so uh, there'll be devops team and they look at it okay this uh, data store has sensitive data and it's exposed to you know outside or it can be exposed so typically they adjust a security policy or even restrict the access more right they they make it even much uh, granular or very strict uh, access that's one the second thing is many uh, many teams i have noticed they are we have built a like a visualization where they take this and look at it and then say this is my whole layout of, of my cloud infrastructure these pieces are not necessary right they they actually poke into it and then say these pieces are not necessary and they try to cut off all the links basically you know access privileges access permissions and all the things and now they have that view into it and they can really change policies and deploy and once that happens when our next update uh, our graph gets adjusted and they can really see uh, impact of what they have done i hope that answers your question um thanks uh my right should i go through one by one okay yeah yeah go ahead i unfortunately yeah. i i was like i can't look at the questions mute and unmute and look at the questions at the same time for some reason so i'm getting a little delayed so perhaps you can go yeah. on to the so, next yeah year. next question is from donald mold so what type of data is most vulnerable in the cloud um i think uh, what type of data so uh, many times what we are noticing is personally identifiable information right like that's where uh people keep some type of invoice or uh, you know financial data and those those things will look very common but what, when you look at it you know you might find credit card numbers and addresses phone numbers and so on and that's that's what we see most common in the sense that these are like almost all the companies have this business transactions and it's not like exposed more like they are sitting there and they may not really have a good security control over that and um you know if you if you went to expose certain risk and you know they will be able to apply and restrict access okay There's a lot of questions so i'll go through number one and uh, please feel free to update in the next one so next one do you do any relevant work with companies okay. gaining access to your data and selling like the facebook scandal if you great question so we have a concept of external access you know many many companies that use a product have this notion of can i can i get to know who all have access to my data from outside and we can detect it right like when you when, you, when i presented i i talked about the graph and many times you see an access coming from not internally from externally and that relationship is actually part of our graph and many like we even have a very some sort of the risk we expose and companies can know this data is not only accessible internally but also externally so uh, absolutely we do this and uh, customers are very interested in this aspect i have experienced cyber security but none in cloud what would you recommend for cyber security professionals who want to get into cloud security but don't know where to start um i think um i i would say you have to know uh, at least some cloud providers and how they do things uh, for example many certifications are available for aws gcp azure you can always pick one that you really like and so knowing that fundamentals then you can expand to security because a lot of security fundamentals will apply but just you have to know some of this actual cloud the providers how they approach what are the apis available how they really doing this some some you know uh certifications just doing some basic certifications just will get you started and and just interact with the merging the security background cyber security background will will work great that's all 
Okay, next question. Yeah, actually, there. I'm going to jump just because we may get tight on time, but I'm going to jump ahead because there's one that a couple of people uh, have asked that are uh, variants of the same question. And so uh, if this thing will let me pull up the Q&A again, uh, we, we have a couple of people who've asked about the technical challenges, uh, kind of the tough, toughest technical challenges that came up with this, specifically in, you know, in pulling metadata to populate the, the graph. Yeah. So uh, actually, it's a great question. <laughs> this is this is a struggle with uh, as we continue to have challenges. So um, two things, you know, like one is the, um, the time lag, right? So we there's a graph, we have data streaming in, we want to update. Many times updating takes time. And uh, if you don't do throttling or if you don't do batch properly, you can really mess up some of these queries and update queries, they all fail and you're really not able to update the graph. And uh, so in terms of understanding the graph, uh, you know, throughput and batching your queries is kind of a, one of the technical challenges we are even running into now. Uh, you know, one, one example is, let's say today you're running update, you're just finding like, you know, it's very much possible they just, the deployment changed a lot of things. And what happens if your update is uh, instead of 100 on a typical day, it's like 10,000. Then you'll just start issuing all these update queries. They can, it'll be a problem. So um, kind of knowing your throughput and having a way for you to throttle will, you know, is very one of the important ones. The second thing is, um, uh, I talked about this, like when you do an update, can you do it cleverly so that you're not interacting with the whole graph, maybe part of the graph. So that goes to data model. Maybe th like those are the two kind of important challenges uh, we have run into and still kind of open. Um, Professor Clifton, should we move on to the next question? Yeah, let's go ahead and move on to the next question. Okay, so uh, next one, what are some what are some current emerging technologies approaches for performing context matching for data classification? Actually, um, I, I really don't know precisely how it's going to look like. I, I think this is, again, I put it there because this is almost like a research area we've been discussing and, uh, 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 sorry, I, it looks like I don't have a good answer for that particular question. Maybe I'll find out and uh, I can share. M mainly, um, maybe one insight I can give you is that the graph always has a really good idea about how the patterns are emerging. Uh, you know, for example, you have users and groups. Users belong to certain groups, and the and the these users are always creating sensitive data. Let's say if you know this information, can you start creating these relationships without even scanning, right? Without even doing all this expensive classification. And that's the only thing, you know, that we think might help us, but um, probably there are plenty of ways the, the patterns can be recognized from the graph, can be really used to tag all this you know, sensitive data. So I, I, I feel like it's more of pattern matching in the, in the graph and bringing that information back into the graph. So, um, it, it's an interesting problem, but a very interesting problem. And uh, if you have time, definitely just take a look at that. We we have a related question, um, which is a little more specific. Um, whoop, it just disappeared from my list. Uh, I mean, to do with the context matching. Um, so perhaps we want to go on to the next one on the list here. Uh, uh, you know, working with companies or individuals, uh, and you know, do you have have you worked with kind of individuals or or smaller or startups? And what what is the key difference in the kinds of data they? Yeah. Um, uh, again, a great question. So far, we we are working with companies. And, uh, but our product, like anybody can use it. And uh, so what's the key difference? So 
i think company okay so one thing is that uh, companies uh, when they start using the product they and when they classify what they are often surprised so what they find so that's something that you know finance data or pai they don't want to see it uh, but typically you might find it uh, in the uh, in in their environment uh, individuals um, can use the product but uh, i i i don't have a lot of uh, experience like interacting with them i think they are using the product but i don't have a good feedback uh, about what's the difference between the you know companies and individual sorry sorry here um here's a an interesting uh our data breaches are you know when you find them do you find them that they're malicious or by accident um actually in our use case so far what what i am we are focusing on is mostly by accident right like it's a misconfiguration or uh, done some time ago uh, somebody forgot about turning it off uh, some access and that's what we we have so far come across um, nothing malicious um, uh, as far as i know so but i think the the solution in terms of what we want to do is even catch the malicious ones um yeah so much mostly uh, by accident or you know it's not accident maybe third category i want to add is more about not knowing all the details of different clouds right so basically they don't know the setting exists and they don't they don't set it and basically makes it the exposure more likely so um, here's a couple of questions that i think go together and i'm going to pose them to you that way uh because of first is because i think uh the second question your answer to the first may actually come into it first question was do you predict growth in the cybersecurity industry in the future and what is a way to learn more about it if you don't have experience in computer programming or technology and the second question i think is related to this is what's the hardest part of when convincing a company to use normalize okay first question is absolutely you know growth i i um actually we were uh, there's a you know statistics i don't know like i i know it but uh, feel free to check it out um, there's a you know the cybersecurity or security space is going to be a you know 2 trillion dollar uh, market and uh, so going to be tremendous growth i the the plot i showed you in terms of public cloud usage it just keeps growing and and we are you know like if you look at what we want to do we always want to do new things so and that new things in a public cloud will always lead to a lot of these problems that are very unique and data security posture is very recent and it's it's completely you know many companies are already working on it so um, absolutely it's going to grow and if you don't have a you know background right actually you don't have to program and be part of cybersecurity i think that's something that you know so that you, you know right uh, even our company right like uh, we have risk detection and for writing all this uh, patterns that we want to find out now there's a position for it um, people with the analytics like or people who have background in writing queries they apply for it and they all great candidates so uh, absolutely uh, you don't have to be a programmer to be in cybersecurity Uh, go for it the second one about um, uh, what is the hardest part in convincing normalize great question when you do something innovative companies are you know uh, they are scared right like they 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 have to know because now we we have a uh, you know a product kind of shows what are the weaknesses right like what are the ways in which uh, you can be exposed and uh, companies definitely have the trust factor to immediately join and do something and uh, so the establishing the trust is one of the hardest part definitely once you once they talk to us and they once they know our background and they are very heavily engaged by the way so you can always overcome that but i think they initially you know they're just exposing their infrastructure to us and which we keep it very secure but that's the hardest part and again I, i think it applies to all the security companies you know like uh, in the beginning they don't want even go out to public cloud now they're all going out to public cloud and now people are installing agents from different companies to collect data which is very common so my hope is that you know this will this will happen 
but again that's the, my last slide is about we do it right way and uh, and it really helps all you know the, our overall field right and it really helps with um uh, innovation so it's important and uh, that's a small you know so, so, you know, that's something we need to overcome. Oh, thank you. Uh, oh, actually, Jen. there is oh. one more question. Do you guys oh. mind if we ask it? Oh, please do. Sure. Uh, from Owen, he asks, can deep learning algorithms be used to track the movements of data? And if so, what are the problems with this approach? Okay. Um, I don't know much about deep learning, but maybe I'll talk about the problem that you you know you can kind of see whether it can help, right? So the pattern matching, the data movement is harder because you need to do a lot of data matching, right? Data crunching, and if you go behind why uh, data crunching is um, harder, it's you can because of time and cost, right? So do data crunching, you need to spend money. And um, uh, and it's also it's going to take a long time. And so and now how do you solve it? You need to have a way for you to run this very efficiently and without spending a lot of uh, a lot of cost. So if in case deep learning can help you to do that um, quickly and not spending too much cost, that can be absolutely a you know game changer, no problem. Uh, and but the objective is important. The important you know, basically do it faster not spend a lot of compute so if you kind of see and if it uh, works out well with deep learning absolutely that, that can be useful well thank you Amorthy um, it's very very interesting things and in pointing out just how big our cybersecurity problems are and and widespread and even understanding uh, what our risks are and what our problems are is is a challenging, uh, you know, both technical and management problem, and uh, and it's wonderful to see some of the kind of advances and technology you're developing for this. So, like to thank you, uh, uh, thank you very much for this talk and. Uh, uh, Look forward to hearing from you again, uh, you know, in another few years. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you very much for having me and uh, great questions. I, I cannot see all the audience, but uh, absolutely, thank you. You have been a great audience and uh, hope to come back. Thank you to both of you. We appreciate you having, having being here and giving the talk. And then again, I want to remind you, if you want to come back, we have our symposium the end of March. It's live. So if you'd like to come and be in the audience and network and learn a little bit and share some of your stories and your research as well. That would be fantastic. So if you go to the website, you can find all the details, but it is March 28th and 29th that will be on Purdue's campus in Stewart Center. So thank you again, everyone. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye.